Hey everybody and welcome to the Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry podcast. It's with me, Philip Heidson, and with Dara McAnthony, chairman and co-owner of Peterborough United. And welcome back home, Dara. You just got back from Dubai yesterday. Good to be back, motherfuckers. Yep, absolutely. Great two weeks away. Bit of normality and uh, and back to normality in Florida. So yeah, it's uh, nice to be home. The sun is shining. I obviously stopped off in New York yesterday because you can't go direct to Florida anymore, but that mm-hmm. was freezing cold and uh, the airport was empty. And it was nice to get back here to to the heat of Florida. So yeah, nice couple of weeks to recharge the batteries and ready to rock and roll. Well, listeners might be happy to hear that it was cold for you for a couple of days. It's funny, in the business podcast, we had somebody saying, you know, here I am in Derby and it's eight degrees and all I hear is um, you're talking about Dubai and I'm talking about Florida. <laughs> I, I, I do have this propensity to upset a few people with some <laughs> you know, it was like someone tweeted the other day when I was in Dubai, like you, you've been breaking these rules, going away throughout the pandemic and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, no, I'm living within the rules, within my rights and enjoying myself. So yeah, that was really good. And um, Dubai airport was good. Uh, you know, to be fair to Dubai, they're like the gold standard, like I said in the previous podcast, you know, you, you feel really safe there. I did my PCR test the day before I traveled, you know, to your hotel and do it. I was speaking to the hotel owner there and he was saying, obviously, you know, the English things hurt them because they're on that list where people have to quarantine when they're home in a stupid hotel in, in Gatwick or whatever, but they've vaccinated so many people. And if you look at the UAE as, as a, I think it's number three on the vaccine after the UK in Israel. So whether I was going to the barbers, I was in a car, whether I was at a restaurant, a waiter, waitress, there was no one I didn't meet who wasn't vaccinated, which is really great. Not one person I was around that worked in the workforce in Dubai, airports, hotels, rest, everyone's vaccinated. And that gives great comfort to people, to the older people who want to start traveling. You know, I said to my dad, you know, you should go to Dubai. You know, he's had his vaccines. As if there's ever a safe place to go, they really have their vaccine program. If, if we'd been there a long period of time, we could have gone and chosen uh, one of five vaccines to have. Right. Um, you know, we, we've signed up on the list for Florida. I think the end of March we can go. I'm going to get the Johnson & Johnson because it's one jab. So, you know, which is which is easy instead of having to go back 20 days later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so me and the missus have like put our names down for when the J&J jab is available in Florida. I see a lot of crap in England about the AstraZeneca one because of the blood clots and, you know, these idiotic countries, including my Irish, my fellow Irish, you know, they've been locked up for so long and they've taken the vaccine away for a while. They're a bunch of fucking bedwetting assholes. It's insane, isn't it? It's fucking insane. Every medication you take, the side effects, and there's been millions of AstraZeneca put out. And it's so little if you read the data with blood clots. There's a risk with everything. But you know what? It's idiotic. All the, and, I, and I include America in that because the FDA still haven't approved AstraZeneca. And they've got 30 million doses sat in storage. It's fucking inhumane. But there's a fifth vaccine being produced in America as well. Novax, I think it's called. Yeah, that's right. Efficacy, efficacy is 96%. Um, by the end of May, we'll be, we'll be drowning in vaccines out here. So like I said, you know, I study data. This thing's getting its ass whooped. And uh, even without the vaccines in some areas, you can see it. It's seasonal. And it's, it's just Florida is now open for spring break. We've got the UFC coming here. You know, we've got live events. I've seen now uh, Fury and uh, Joshua have got the fights on. So I'm Wherever that is, I'm going to that fight. I'm not missing that. I'm taking the misses. So it'd be great if they brought that to Vegas, but I think Vegas is blue run. So they probably won't be open and allowed to have fun. You know what? I think um, the casinos have a greater slip sway than the politicians do in Vegas. So I think you'll be good. I wanted to go to Vegas and the rules and the masking mandates and inside the casino. I was like, no, it's 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 very heavily run blue. Um, and again, like live events, they can have fuck all people. So at the moment, that's kind of like a roadblock. But no, I, I had a great time. I think I upset some people last week in Dubai when I was you know, tweeting about, I was Pierce Morgan. Making uh, friends and influencing people as usual. That's my thing. But you know what? I, I, 
I don't care. You know, I'm always going to be me. I'm always going to be the truth. It's the hard truth. I'm going to be transparent. Look, me and my missus watched the Meghan Markle thing with Oprah Winfrey. And uh, my missus is a staunch royalist. Uh, I, I have no feelings for the royal family. I'm Irish. So just on principle alone, I don't think there should be a royal family. But, <laughs> but she loves the royal family. And, um, you know, she's spitting bullets over at Meghan Markle. And obviously then Piers Morgan, I stopped following a year ago because of his COVID obsession and fucking lockdown obsession. But I respect, I said it at the time, I'm glad he didn't apologize. I respect his right to opinion. It upset a lot of the mental health people, you know, people who were worried about mental health because yeah. he was obviously calling her a liar and said he didn't believe her. That led to the stigma of, well, well he's having to go to all people with mental health issues, which that wasn't an argument I was trying to get drawn into. I was trying to say, well, you know, everyone has the freedom of speech. Everyone has the right to opinion. And what I'm tired of is seeing people apologize. Even you as a, a staunch Democrat must be sick of the cancel culture and the apologies because stop already. I don't want to see people apologizing anymore for stuff they did 35 years ago or for a comment they made that was in jest or, or whatever. People shouldn't lose their livelihoods. People's careers shouldn't be destroyed. The woke community have been getting away with this for too long. They went after Piers Morgan. They told him to apologize. He told them to go fuck themselves. Fair enough. I've got no time for him anymore. But his right to work and do what he does, he's got every right to do that. And I still stand by that. And even the people who came out and said, oh, what message is that you're sending to mental health? Listen, you know what I'm like in mental health. And I've given help. I still talk to people now about it. And, and people who've been in the darkest moments have donated money. You couldn't get a person who believes in it more to help people. But that doesn't mean you, Phil, are not allowed the right to turn around and say to me, Darren, I don't believe what you're telling right. me. You have that right. And you shouldn't be cancelled for having that opinion. So that's where I was on that. A lot of people got upset. Some journalists even got upset. Some blue check checkers or blue checkers. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they did, yeah. Um, but I did a little thing. I, I measured up the statistical thing. And it was like uh, 82% um, in my favor, 18% against. So, yeah, you got a majority. The majority has been battered for a couple of years. I still believe <laughs> the majority rules and wins. We've listened to the minority for far too long, you know what I mean, on social media. And then, obviously... I went out that night and had a few drinks and I decided to put a video up. It was about, you know, all the bedwetters out there that were upset, you know, hiding behind their couches, cashing their furlough checks. And, uh, you know where I am on this, always taking the virus seriously, but I've tried to maintain normality as much as I can because that's the way I live my life. I will never apologize for that. I've done that throughout, but I've also done it with having taken now 54 PCR tests in a year, having lived within the rules, having made sure my business, i.e. the football club, has lived within the rules. As people want to make me out to be an anti-COVID person, absolutely not. But I am a realist. I study data. Um, my head's not up my arse like a lot of people. I've seen the comparisons of lockdown versus no lockdown in countries. Scientists can't explain that. The health officials can't either. They get tangled up in it when they have to compare Florida and the UK or Florida and California. Someone said that you've changed so much in this in the last 12 months. And I look back at my comments and I went, well, where, have I changed on where I wanted my kids in school? No. Nope. Change where early on I said footballers wouldn't die of COVID? No. Have I changed where I said it was safe for footballers to go back and play? No. Have I said where it was safe for fans to go to outdoor events? No. If you look through all the things I've gone through from day one, because I have studied the data all the time, I haven't really changed my opinion that much. And I've always been of that mind that we as a society, you know, should have the freedom to make our own choices and whilst shielding the vulnerable and making sure they get their vaccine. So I'm pro vaccine. You know, I've told my own driver who isn't too keen on getting the vaccine, that he's going to be driving me around when I get to the UK, I would encourage him to get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Right thing to do. I don't want, you know, because I haven't had it yet, for him to give something to me and me give something to the football club when he's of that age where he should be getting the vaccine. So I'm not forcing him to do it. I'm encouraging him to. 
So that's where I am on it. I, I'm not anti-vax. I think vaccines, you know, looking at all the data, they work. It's our way out of this. I just wish world leaders would show people the way forward to go. This is what happens when you get a vaccine. You can lose your mask. You can lose this. You can travel. You can live normally. If they did that, lots more people would straight away go out. And yeah, get it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. So enough about COVID. Let's get on to the football. What have we got to talk about? Yeah, I, I, I wish that there was some happy things to talk about football, at least on my side. But I think since the last time we spoke, you didn't play at the weekend and you lost to Hull. Best we've played all season. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. For 35 minutes, it was the best we've played all season, in my opinion. I watched that game and we've battered them. They've got a lucky goal from a set piece. We're still in the game playing brilliant. Great football. Ridiculous fucking red card. You know, to take two yellow cards in the first half against the top of the table. And, and, and the most ridiculous fucking yellow card challenges you've ever seen. Anyway, we'll, we'll forgive the player. He knows he's, he's shit the bed. Um, without that red card, we would have won that game with our eyes closed. No doubt about it. I know McCann came out afterwards and said they'd win. No fucking way. We absolutely had their number. And um, that was the best we've played. So, yeah, we, we've lost a couple of games, but in all fairness, it's not like when we lost before, we were a pile of shit. We were right. So, it didn't concern me. I said it before, it's 13 games to go. I haven't been table watching. I've said this, you know, until we get into that final six, seven, eight games, you know, that's when it matters. Um, and right now, we just need to start winning again and put ourselves there. You'll be shitting yourself because Bradford have lost two games, so you'll have all that scar tissue from before thinking, oh, we're in, in regression here and we're going backwards. But tell me the truth of the two games. Did you deserve to lose the two games? We deserved to lose one. We didn't deserve to lose the other. So we lost We lost to Newport and we lost to Carlisle. So at Newport, we were all over them. Like they didn't have a chance. And then they had, you know, one of their blokes took an air kick on the edge of the, a penalty, uh, edge of the area. The ref gave it a free kick. They scored direct from the free kick. And then 96th minute, you know, of a 93-minute game, uh, throwing comes in, it hits one of our players' shoulders as he tries to head it, gets a penalty, they score the penalty. You know, we we had a lot of good luck when we had our run, and that's maybe look evening itself out a little bit. Second game, which was losing to Carlisle, we got what we deserved, to be honest. You know, they were there for the taking, and we just threw it away. So we'll see what comes next. That's it, isn't it? You know, you, it's always that thing, just when you think, you know, it's safe to go underwater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're getting along a bunch. So that is what it is, do you know what I mean? But look, as football fans, there's there's periods where you're like, oh, this is fucking brilliant. And then all of a sudden, it's the end of the world again. So, you know, like my only issue is every time I go to fucking Dubai, my team tends not to win. My record being there in November and being there here, I think, is like five losses, one win and one draw. Mm -hmm. so, you know, the manager said to me after the game, can you fuck off back home? And then we didn't play at the weekend. And again, I was told the results were okay for us. Do you know what I mean? I think Rochdale surprised Lincoln. But again, this league's fucking mental. Rochdale mm -hmm. couldn't buy a win. And they've gone and beaten, I think, with that Lincoln, away at Lincoln. Do you know what I mean? So that's the madness of like League One. I don't know about League Two, but League One's just a fucking. It's madness. the same. You know, like you look at Carlisle, who we lost to on Saturday. Mm -hmm. They were top of the table in December. I think we were something like 25 points below them. By Saturday, we were above them. They had five or six games in hand and they lost them all. They lost nine in a row. That's and here's us, you know, on our run. And they made us look, you know, pretty crappy, to be honest with you. That's um, but yeah, I, anyone can beat anyone. I know it's a cliche, but. Yeah. And then obviously you've got like, I think, like, is it now you've got like two of the top jobs in League One available? You've got Charlton and you've got Portsmouth. Yeah. So yeah. That's incredible. You know, you've had with Ipswich now three of the top 10 jobs like become available in our league. Sorry, four of the top 10 jobs, if you think. Doncaster. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, talk about a bookie's bet on that, you know, that like four of the top 10 clubs would be available. 
so yeah, I mean, really, really surprised at some of those moves. Don't know a lot about them. Um, I'm hearing that Lee Boyer is, is he taking over Birmingham or something? Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus Christ! I mean, the Championship again, another league. When you look down the bottom there, I mean, there's some big clubs down there, isn't there? That are like for their, you know, for their lives to come up. And I see Wigan got taken over today, so that's good news. I didn't see that closed. That's great. I think Phoenix or whatever the core group have bought it. I think they've got links with one of the clubs in the states. Mm -hmm. so Phoenix rises. I don't know if I'm wrong on that or right on that, but. Anyway, I think there's a good ownership structure behind there. I think there's some UAE money going in. So, yeah. listen, good news for the Wigan fans. They've had the, you know, the, the shit kicked out of them for a long time. So, you know, like I keep saying, these big clubs will rise again, uh, you know, which is the way, as will be yeah. the way with Bradford, you know. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on in football? So, we have Chris Wilder resigning as well last week. Yeah. It seems like there's tensions behind the scenes for sure. But when you start airing some grievances publicly, it seems like there's only one winner. He wanted that, you know, obviously the last few weeks we've heard the training ground didn't get money spent on that he wanted. He didn't get such, such in players, the list of players he didn't get. I don't think those players would have gone there anyway. Mm. I look at the recruitment. I look at the money they've spent on Brewster. They've spent on McBurney. The money they spent on a goalkeeper, 19 million quid for a goalkeeper, which I think is scandalous, you know, in the, in the day when you could loan in goalkeepers, you, don't, you know, that, that's just madness. And I look at some of the... Their last seven or eight transfers, maybe one or two are good. The other, you look at them and go, they've overpaid. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on. I think the owner wanted a director of football or a structure in place. And I think that's, if you look at how bad the recruitment's been, that's not a bad thing to have a conversation about. Again, that should be aired publicly. So when you start seeing that, you know he wants out. And, you know, he wants to come out of it saving face. I'm surprised because I, I, I've obviously done the podcast saying his praises for the job he did at Northampton, Oxford, at Sheffield United. He's, the last six years, he's probably been the best manager in English football. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's gone all the way through the leagues and um, and what he did to keep them up there last year and not just keep them up, but... He know. obviously thought maybe by playing this game, he would get his own yeah. way. I'm a Sheffield lad. The fans are going to side with me. Everything I've done for them. Yeah, and I think, you know what? That's blown up in his face. Look, if a player criticizes a manager, yeah, it's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. and managers will deal with that. If a manager criticizes an owner, it seemed to be okay to do that. It's not. Just like it's not okay for a player to criticize a manager. There's a chain of command, unfortunately. You know, and I've always said this, you know, the tail, the, the tail doesn't wag the dog, the dog wags the tail. That's the same in life. And with all due respect, you are an employee, and there should be a respect level between an mm -hmm. employee and an employer. And we're talking about, we're doing our business podcast over this about recruitment and jobs. Yeah. And anyone who wants to join the business podcast community, hardtruthbusiness.com, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's starting to thrive and look good. But, uh, yeah, I, not good for Sheffield United. And, and I only wish now Liverpool had to play them, you know, <laughs> one of the games left because they look like they're beaten and on their way down. But um, I, I, I wouldn't bet against within two years Chris Wilder being back at Sheffield United. Mm -hmm. One of them, like me with Fergie, that mistakes would have been made, arguments would have been had. And at some stage, he would come back as manager quite potentially. Now, as an owner, how do you forgive somebody who has basically try to throw you under the bus to save themselves? Um, football, you can have short memories in. It's a very, you know, they say it's not very forgiving industry. I think it's the other way around. You know, you sign players, you fall out with, you sign managers back, you've fallen out with. Um, you know, memories are short and they're not often long. Um, you know, if you're in a situation in 18 months time where they they need him in their middle of the championship with a chance of promoted and he's made amends with the owner, it can happen. So, I don't know. I don't know their relationship. But I haven't really seen the owner attack him. It's just mm -hmm. been sided through the yeah. press. 
and managers use their favorite journalists to leak stuff all the time. So, and in saying that, you'll have some valid points. Like, you know, the training ground is one. If you wanted the training ground invested in a Premier League club, absolutely, the ownership should take responsibility. But equally, they should have said, well, we're not spending 25 million. Right. A goalkeeper or a training ground. Yeah, yeah look, well, we'll tell you what we'll do. We'll give you 12 million for a striker and we'll spend the other 12 million on yep. the training ground. Is that okay with you, Gaffer? So there's always a compromise. You know, if I fall out with my manager, I always try and find a way of compromising. And look, we all fall out occasionally, but I always try and find a way to not make amends, but meet in the middle somewhere. Well, as an owner, though, it, it surely then it goes into your um, your performance management of your manager, so to speak. You know that there's been these trade-offs, and these trade-offs may be that you weren't able to get the player that you wanted because you decided to make a long-term investment. So the requirement on the manager isn't necessarily the same as what it would be if all that money was thrown into the team. My gaffer always knows I'll sell his his family jewellery out from under him in the way of a big sale, because that's what we do. But he also knows I'll replace some of the jewellery with some smaller pieces that he can then harness and turn into bigger rocks and diamonds. So, you know, that's what we do. So he knows one minute he might lose a Johnson Clark Harris if we were still in League One for six, seven million, but I'll go out and spend half of that and two or three quality replacements. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? For him to do what he does. So he knows that. He knows how I work. Maybe that's so long together and, and what have you and based on history and us as a club. Like we got him a new training ground pitch. We went and spent 350 grand on a state-of-the-art pitch at the training ground. Yeah. You know, was look, Gaff, I'm not sure we'll be able to sign a player if we do that. And he was like, no problem. The training ground's more important. I was like, fine, great. Can I get that on video? <laughs> because, <laughs> and then you got other previous managers of mine where I told you I fell out with them because constantly in the press, they were aggressively having a go at me from players and not bringing that player in and did it, did it, did it. So, but managers have to be, they have to smell the room. They have to know the room they're in. But some managers are very clever. And they can use the room, the press, the media, and whatever together. And I don't like games like that. The one thing I've been lucky with the gaffer I've got is he doesn't play games in the media. Mm -hmm. He very rarely ever says things in the press that will piss me off. He doesn't really. I can't even remember the last time he did it. He, it's not his style. You know, he's, he, he more, he'd be more, you know, the type of person to go on Zoom and say, you're an asshole, Chairman. Okay, fine. You know what I mean? Rather than go to the press. And I'm, I'm all right with that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that works for me. And that's where the owner relationship is so important. So, look, that's a good job for next season, Sheffield United, you know, depending on... I think he also was upset that they were going to sell 40 million quid's worth of players, but okay. every team that gets relegated, Alan Norwich, have to sell players. Yeah. Alan Bournemouth, who I think sold 100 million's worth. So, you've got to get real as a manager. You, you, you can't go into the championship with a Premier League budget. So, you have to know, if you're going down, you're going to lose 30, 40 million to make up for that hole. So, what's the market for Chris Wilder as a manager then? It's a tough one, you know, I guess. I, I would imagine he'll wait till the summer. See about relegated teams in the Premier League if they mm -hmm. change. Seeing the championships and big clubs if they have a go again. If they're losing a manager and they want him. Maybe, I don't know, Scotland, uh, Celtic. Uh, but he's, there's a top market for him. Because like I said, he was the best manager over the last six years. So he could easily get a, a very, very tasty job. One might be uh, if Roy Hodgson retired at Crystal Palace. Yeah. Palace look at him. I don't know. The only problem is this 12 months has really blighted his copybook. If you were a Premier League club, 12 months ago, you'd have hired him in a heartbeat. Right. I have seen what's happened the last 12 months. You'd kind of be like, mm, yeah, I don't know. It's almost like he needs to do it again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like everything else. You're as good as your last couple of months. Um, yeah. so his last couple of months or his last X amount of months have been a disaster. So I don't know, but I still think he'll get a very, very good job. You talked about, you know, going down and the impact of going down to the championship and selling players. You know, you look at somebody like Norwich who have just turned into this perennial yo-yo club. But, you know, I think that's, I, I don't see that in a derogatory way. You know, the fact that they're now 10 points clear again at the top of the championship. 
you know, what is it that a club like Norwich does that allows them to continue to keep bouncing back that maybe some of the other clubs don't that find themselves stuck in the championship for longer? They manage their finances superbly. Stuart Weber does a great job there at the technical. I didn't believe that's his name, the technical. He, he runs everything for uh, Dealey and her husband mm-hmm. and all Norwich. They don't have billionaire owners. They don't even have millionaire owners who want to be putting 20, 30 million into the club every year. And that's fair enough. They're British owned. I respect that. I love that. They have a policy similar to ours. They believe in youth. They believe in young players. They have a loan manager who looks after all the young players going out on loan. They're very, very well run. They like their manager. They have a certain style they play to. They're very attractive on the eye. They were a bit naive, or their manager was, thinking that style could be used in the Premier League. Maybe he needed to adjust. What he'll have learned from last time, maybe don't make the same mistakes twice. Mm -hmm. So when you go up this time, maybe he will adjust slightly. Um, you know, their policy if they want to, because two or three years in a row in the Premier League could make a hell of a difference to a club like Norwich. It's a big club with a big fan base. I respect the way they do business. They will go up and they will have a go at it. Uh, but if they come down, they will do the 40 million in sales like they mm-hmm. did last summer. Um, and they have young assets. So in the current day and age, I've said to you, with bad owners and bills not getting paid and the club's gone into administration, I have absolute utmost respect for how Norwich operate as a club except they're trying to pinch my players. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as, as long as they bring the money to the table, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, it's when they don't that I'll get the hump. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, so a little bit like West Brom probably 15 years ago on the Jeremy piece. They went up, they went down, they went up, they went down. They're the proverbial yo-yo team yeah. until they got to a stage where I think they got like five, six years in a row staying in the Premier League. So that kind of period, if you ask Steve Parrish, Crystal Palace was turned inside out when they could stay in the Premier League for so long. Mm-hmm. They were able to go out and get foreign ownership, investments, they were able to pay all their debts. They were able to get in a position where they planned a new stadium. You, you know, they really solidified themselves as a top, top club in the Premier League. You know, you know when I say top club, top Premier League club. Right. I have no problem with the yo-yo. We kind of did it ourselves at League One. Rotherham have done it recently in League One to the camp. It's always so difficult to make the jump and keep the jump and, and, and stay there. You know, so Sheffield United will probably be that club, depending on what they lose, what they keep. Mm-hmm. You, know, you would think Ryan Brewster, Ollie McBurney, two strikers who would score 20 goals each in the championship if you kept them the nucleus of the back the nucleus of some of the players that went up before they could win that league by 15 points next year now where do you stand on you know you kind of look like you're going down and so there's a decision you make right it's keep with your manager and your manager's going to go and you're going to go down with your manager and you're going to give your manager the chance to go up are you going to say, you know what, I'm going to try a Hail Mary. I'm going to sack the manager. I'm going to bring somebody in. I'm going to try and spark that turnaround. And if it doesn't, you're kind of stuck. Premier League is different because the money's so important. Hence why it's easy to validize firefighting and so many jobs. Do you know what I mean? So my first time around the championship, my mistake was by November. We were so poor. I, I lost my nerve on it and, and thought, well, he's going to take us down and things aren't good. I should have stuck with the manager. Second time around, um, we didn't go down to that final kick of the season. So mm-hmm. it was never a question. We were, we, we'd got our act together. You know, I, I would stick to the manager. Fair play to Tony Stewart and Rotherham. He's backed Paul um, Paul Warren multiple times, and and you know when they've got relegated, and he's he's repaid that with promotion. So, I think good ownership, as long as the relationship's strong, as long as the players still have belief, as long as everything seems all well, and it's just not complete negativity everywhere, you could give your manager that chance and tell him mm-hmm. the ownership of Peterborough. You know, are so behind Darren Ferguson that say by we got promoted. Let's say the most wonderful thing happened. We went up and we didn't have a good time. We as an ownership would back him. As long as he still fulfilled our policy and what our expectations are as a club, we would have no problem. We would back him over the players. And I've always said that. 
sometimes you have to, it's like right now at Liverpool, do you back the manager, do you back the players? That was a great win yesterday. Hopefully they can start getting their act together. But the manager's never innocent. He still has answer, has to answer for some of the things that happen. Yeah. So even though you might go down or you might lose games, the manager still has to answer for that. Because it shouldn't be a case of like Sheffield United where I think they've lost 85% of their games. That also falls on the manager, by the way. How important is the voice of the fans when you're thinking about whether you make that change or whether you stick with your manager? It's dangerous. It's dangerous because sometimes like early on in my ownership, you feel that well, the fans are turning against the manager, the fans are turning against the club. That could affect the decisions you make. As I've got longer as in ownership, more experience, I've learned that listening to fans, no, that's, that's very dangerous. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to look at everything in isolation. You have to ignore the outside noise and you have to make decisions based on the information in front of you. And you have to do it without screaming in your ears. Yeah. So that can be dangerous sometimes. And I think it affects a lot of owners and a lot of owners will fire managers based on the fan feeling. I have another kind of question that was in the news this week, and this is around um, Avram Glazer yep. and Man United. So he sold some shares, I think 70 million pounds worth, 100 million dollars worth of shares. There seems to be some uproar and I didn't necessarily understand it. So I'd love your perspective as well about, well, he's pocketing the money rather than Man United getting the money. Shouldn't that go to the club? Uh, you know, he's making money and they're not putting it into transfers. It seems like he's an owner. He has shares. He sold his shares. He made some money on that investment. That's kind of the way the world works. They didn't buy the club as a hobby. Right. United fan is well aware that the Grants, uh, that family, the Glazers, sorry, um, are in business to make money. They own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they as a family have invested in sports franchises. Um, just like Cronky at Arsenal. He didn't buy Arsenal as a plaything. He bought it as a business. Um, the Glazer family bought United for whatever it was, 500 million or 600 million, and it's now worth three, four billion. Mm. It's a business, it's what they do. When business people buy a football club, don't be surprised when they pay themselves a dividend. Don't be surprised when they sell some shares to get some equity, to get some money. And that's the way businesses are run. Um, I know it's sports, but don't get tricked into thinking people who own sports own it as a plaything. Mm-hmm. They're not all idiots like me. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? So, 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 you know, I, I've got no problem whatsoever um, with what they did. Look, United's in a decent place. They got some terrific young players. They still spend. They get constant criticism for not spending. But they do spend. I mean, and they'll probably spend another hundred million this summer. What do you want? Not even Man City go out and spend two hundred million every transfer window. What, what do you want? Do you just want your club to constantly spend money they don't have? Um, you know, because you think you have a rich owner. Even Chelsea under Abramovich, you know, have cut their cloth. Where all the money they spent this summer was the proceeds from selling Hazard the year before. And mm-hmm. other so they're probably running a one-in, one-out kind of situation, money for money. So Liverpool have done it for years. Actually, they've had net deficits where, you know, FSG, have, you know, have made a lot of money out of Liverpool in the way of equity and valuation. They're also, I think, selling and doing a SPAC of some sorts where they're going to give a bit of equity up and get a bit of money. Mm-hmm. That's the owner's opportunity to get back what he paid originally. Yeah. You know, so I'm not sure the out- a pal of mine, Phil, Phil De Bruyne, that does a big podcast on United, and he was, you know, enraged by it all. And I get it. You know, there's a lot of animosity and, and dislike. I won't say hatred, yeah. dislike for the Glazers. But, you know, the fact United haven't won the league for a few years doesn't help. Yeah. But, yeah, and I'm not a Solskjaer fan. I don't rate him as a top manager, but they're doing okay. And, uh, you know, they've got some wonderful young players in the team. So that was going to happen. He won't lose a minute's sleep, the Glazer fella. 
didn't give a fuck. They're laughing because, um, you know, from an investment perspective, they basically got all their money back that they put in and they still own 75% of a, a three, $4 billion business. They never put any money in. They used well, they did the reverse. Yeah. They used loans. They used, yeah. you know, equity deals. They, they borrowed funds. They pulled off one of the best business deals. If I went to you in your house right now and said, listen, I can get you X amount of money loan to buy Bradford. Mm-hmm. You don't have a pound note of you and Bet's money in. And in seven years' time, that loan will be paid off and you're going to get five million quid back as well from yeah. doing sort of, sort of a share release. You'd have fucking, you'd be bouncing around your room wanking off in the corner. I'd ask where the where to sign and I'd be booking my flights already. Absolutely. And that's what lots of top business people use other people's money. That's what they do. One of my mistakes for years and years was I never used other people's money. I used my own money to build businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, the best way of doing it is leveraging and leveraging yourself and doing what you got to do with the business. So, um, yeah, don't be, that. that's normal. Lots of clubs do it. So again, it's like a, tiny storm in a teacup yeah all right well we got a couple of questions we're going to take a short break uh, and we'll be back in a moment hi everybody welcome back to the pod um we have a few questions that we've received from listeners this week so let's jump straight into the first one uh, which is from zach dalton um, Zach says, so with quite a few teams near the bottom of League One and League Two with their form worsening significantly, having seen a few games involving some of those teams, you can see that a lot of them have a lot smaller squads and everyone is really looking tired at the moment. Would you ever advocate giving teams, uh, giving like everybody a rest, essentially resting the entire team and basically playing kids for a game or two and taking the loss just so you can actually give some proper rest to your first team squad? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, in the era of COVID and all the back-to-back games, if you if we were in a position where we have four games in a week, I would expect the manager to do that and rotate. Maybe we might not have rotated enough recently, but when you're on a winning run, it's difficult to do it. Yeah. But I, I you know, whereas before, I'd always like never change the team. Winning team, winning team, winning team. I'd be like, you know what? The season it is, the way it is, if we went and made 10 changes, I'd have no problem. As long as we went and won the next two games afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it led to a bigger problem then you'd be like oh for fuck's sake why did you do that and now i just ruined the momentum yeah yeah but you know what it takes a brave manager to make changes so i would have no problem with that and considering what's going on physically the demands on the players everything that's gone on with covid the christmas fixture pylons the end of the season for the players health and welfare yes you have to do it you know we've lost players to you know bad muscle injuries you know because of the amount of games the minutes the the, the lack of rest time and you don't like to see it happen. So big proponent of that at the moment. Absolutely no problem. Now, if we had a normal season where we had, I don't know, 30 Saturdays and 10 midweek games or whatever else, I'll be like, no, you know, you play your stronger side. But at the moment, with everything that's going on, yeah, it's it's a great question. I, I believe rest is needed. Yeah, and you think about if you're mid-table, it's probably an easier decision to make as well. There's nothing really riding on it. Or if you're maybe lower mid and you're playing a top team, you don't expect to win. If you've got eight games left, Phil, and you're not going up, you're not going down. My advice to the manager would be start figuring out next year. Yeah. Start figuring out the younger players are good enough and giving them game time. Start figuring the ones you don't want anymore. Start figuring out what you want to do and use it as a, as a trial for next season. And tell the players who are out of contract, you're on trial. Mm-hmm. What I see the next eight games will determine what I do in May and June. Um, so I have a question from um, Danny, Danny Laws. Um, Danny says, what are your thoughts on the future of Crystal Palace? with uh, Roy Hodgson and a number of players out of contract in the summer and rumoured for even Eddie Howe. I know we talked about Chris Wilder as somewhere where it would be an interesting spot for him to land, but rumours of Eddie Howe coming in. Well, I rate Eddie Howe. I like him a lot. Um, it's a tough one because they tried to go down, you know, the non-veteran route before. Yeah. 
um, with the Dutch fella that went in there, and it was a disaster. I think they lost seven games in a row, so it didn't you know they could have gone down. What Hodgson's done is stabilise them. They probably feel a bit bored by it all, but there's nothing to be bored about being very comfortable in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Ownership being American and then Steve Parrish, you know, they want to make sure they're a Premier League club. The way they do their contracts works for them. They have older players that they obviously have the carrot and stick approach, you know, where you've got to earn that contract, which keeps them in the Premier League. They have done a bit of business, signing easy. A couple of other younger players recently, so there has been a tilt in their strategy and policy. Um, they've had a really good season. I think they're on 37 points or 38 points. They're mm-hmm. an easy club to play against. Um, do they make the change this summer? Or do they say, look, let's after give it another year and, and, and agree behind the scenes with Roy, this is your final year, go out and start and then repurpose and reimagine what they want to do in the recruitment side? It depends on where the ownership is with money. It depends on what the plans are. Is it just a case of, look, we want to tread water and stay in the Premier League every year? Eventually, that can catch up with you and you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Stoke, it caught up with West Brom, it caught yeah. up with clubs. Villa. That, you know, Villa caught up with clubs that have been there a long time. So I can't speak for the ownership. I just know that Palace under Parish have been an incredibly well-run football club that have had a long period of safety and security in the Premier League. And, and you know, the fans have got to appreciate that because I remember, you know, the season we went, they sent us down the final kick of the season. They've just been taken over. They weren't in a good financial place. And since then, they've just risen and risen and risen and done really well. So... Um, it'll be interesting. I know they've got Friedman there does all the transfers. They've changed some things. They've got a great academy. I know they want to do something with the stadium. Yeah, it's a very attractive club on the outside um, to any manager who wants to go in. So I, I guess time will tell where they are and what they want to do with it. If I had to guess, I think Hodgson gets another year. Yeah. You know, it's interesting what you said about you can, can get bored. You're not going up, not going down. And I've always, it's different, I think, as a supporter, as an owner. As an owner, you're like, give me that, you know. Because, you know, the the financial impact that it has, as you said before, about being in the Premier League. Sure. But there's something to be said for a, a Norwich being a yo-yo and actually having every every other year, you know, you, t- you turn up and you think you're going to win every week. Um, <laughs> you know, that's um, that's very refreshing when you've been in a relegation battle for a long time. Absolutely. My fans were having a pop at me for years where we were always finishing seventh. Or we, we, but every year we were competing for a promotion. Mm-hmm. So it was never any disasters. It was always trying to go for promotion, trying to go for promotion. So more than not, we're winning. And that's not such a bad thing. So you might call that a bit boring, but that's okay. It's not like you're failing, but you're not massively over-succeeding either. So uh, there's a million clubs in England, or 70-odd clubs in England outside the Premier League that would love to be in Palace's position. Yeah, I mean, I remember the second season in the Premier League when we got relegated with an awful like low of points. And yeah. it was just depressing every single week. 100%. You know, and when you go down, you just at least feel like you, you're going to turn up and you've got a chance to win. Now, that didn't work out very well for us because seven years later, we're in League Two. <laughs> so so we had a few of those moments thinking, well, this year it can't get any worse. Just want to jump in and say a quick congratulations to Salford and to Sunderland. They won the EFL Trophy the weekend. It was great to see. I was talking with Gary Neville on Sunday. We were messaging together, you know, saying, like, be proud. It's a great achievement. He, he thought, he said, I didn't think I'd enjoy it as much as I did. And I said, mm-hmm. well, you won a trophy. What's not to enjoy? I, I won that trophy. It's great as an owner of a club to win trophies. That's what you're in football for as well as promotions. So to them, to Sunderland, who broke their, their Wembley hoodoo they've had for so many years and, you know, the job Lee Johnson's doing. So for those two clubs, brilliant. Well done to them. It's so weird to have it back-to-back, wasn't it? I loved it. It was a great idea. It was great. It was, it was a great way to resolve the issue of last year. would have been even better if there were fans over the weekend. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. So last question we've got here is from Alex. Uh, and Alex says, in light of the injury to Bradley Dack on Friday, 
He had a question relating to the con- to his contractual situation if Blackburn are protected in any capacity. He said, you know, he recently signed a new deal at the club, three-year deal, um, as he completed his return from his last injury, which was another pretty bad long-term injury. It was ACL again. Yeah, I think so. And he said, he led me to wonder whether Blackburn would or could have any insurance in place to protect them in a situation like this, especially if it's the exact same injury. No, very few clubs get that kind of insurance. I'm sure Premier League clubs do, but very few clubs get that outside the Premier League. So, mm. look, he deserves a three-year deal. He's a terrific player, top class. Gutted for the kid if it's an ACL again. Um, you know, and, and for Brad, or for Burr Blackburn, you know, a couple of years ago, he was a £15 million asset. And that's something I always say to my players or my fans. We had two players who did it in the space of a season. And we, we, we could have sold those players for four to six million quid. And we, you know, both the players ended up leaving for next to nothing. Mm-hmm. That's millions, you know, never mind the players' careers, but the club itself and financially. So when fans sometimes get angry about a transfer, think of the flip side to it, you know, and, and, and that's the same for a player. Yeah. If you stop a player getting a move where they're going to earn big money and that player hurts themselves, again, you're hurting their career. It's a horrific side of the business. Yeah, you can't help, you know, as a as a fan, we think a player should, put, should give you everything every time they put on a shirt because they're getting paid to play. But you can't blame a player that has that opportunity and is getting very, very close to the finish line for maybe just holding back a little bit in those last few games before the deal, before they get to sign the deal. Human beings, right? We all have our bills to pay. We all have our families to protect. You know, if someone said to you, Phil, look, you know, we're signing you on a million dollar a year podcast deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, We'd rather you don't injure yourself with a microphone filming that last podcast with Barra. If there was a risk, you wouldn't do it. Yep. So, you know, I totally understand it. The Lyle Taylor thing at the end of the last lockdown, I said it at the time, I agreed, and maybe Charlton could have handled it differently. But, you know, it's a short career for players. Uh, and equally, pl- clubs will protect themselves also. So all the best to Bradley, and uh, hopefully you recover as a top-class player, and uh, we'll be back. All right, well, that wraps it up for this week. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening as always. And if you enjoy the show, please don't hesitate to uh, leave a review on iTunes because that helps us get found. Um, of course, if you have any questions for the pod, you can always go to um, hardtruthfootball.com slash contact and uh, submit your question there. And we just bring in as many of those questions as we possibly can. And if you want to subscribe to the business podcast, go to hardtruthbusiness.com. Last but not least, there you go, hardtruthbusiness.com. And we're recording again in a couple of minutes about uh, hiring and making your first hire. So um, um, interesting. We're we're getting some some really interesting questions and conversations going on in that community. So if you are interested in learning a little bit more again, that's hardtruthbusiness.com. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. And we'll talk to you again next week. (laughs) 